Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So last week, the Apostle John, who writes the book of Revelation, had this incredible opportunity to be basically taken up to heaven and to see what's happening in heaven. And what he discovers in heaven, we saw last week, is that there is this throne room. And and in this throne room, there's this giant throne, and on the throne was God the Father, God of heaven and earth. And John looked and he saw that in in God's hand, in his right hand, was a scroll. And and the the message went out to John, who's worthy to take the scroll and to open his scroll? Because the contents are important. And John discovers that nobody in heaven or on earth or under the earth, nobody was worthy to take that scroll and to do something with it, to open it, to execute what the, the, the contents are. But then another voice came to him and he discovered that there was one who was worthy. And we know that to be Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and that he was now worthy to open that scroll and to then execute the contents of the scroll. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to begin the process of, of, of looking at the contents of that scroll and seeing it come about, starting in Revelation chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can go on the YouVersion Bible app uh, or on a physical Bible. Revelation chapter 6 is where we'll be today. Starting in Revelation chapter 6, this is when God begins to pour out his divine judgments on earth. And that's going to culminate in Jesus' second coming in which Jesus will rule and reign over the earth. Now we need to understand this is the beginning of earth's darkest hour. In fact, I entitled the message, Horses, Riders, and Bad News. I do remind you that I think God was intentional by starting off Revelation of giving John a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, of giving John a picture of the throne of God and the throne room of God and him who sits on the throne. Uh, we, won't, we don't want to lose sight of that. That's how God starts Revelation off, making sure you and I understand that no matter how bad it gets, let's remember who's on the throne. Let's remember who's in control. So we always want to have a, an eye towards Revelation chapter 1, chapter 4, and chapter 5 as we see Jesus, as we see God, as we see the throne of God, and that God is in charge. Because now we step into the space where bad news is going to come. But there's going to be some great news in the midst of the bad news also, which we'll talk about in subsequent weeks. So in Revelation chapter 6, we're going to see a stampede of four different colored horses that are often referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, there's many scholars who believe that chapter 6 in Revelation is actually a summary of what's going to be taking place throughout chapter 6 through 18 or 19. It's a summary of all these events of during this period of time of what is known as what we'll call the seven-year tribulation period. Now, I said it's going to be, these are dark times. Now, there's been dark times throughout human history. You think about, you had the Dark Ages, you had the Black Plague, you had the American Civil War, you had World War I, World War II, you've had tyrants through the ages wreak havoc upon the earth. I think about Caesar, Nero, Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, the list can go on and on. But by far, the worst period in human history is still coming. And that's what we're going to be looking at starting here in chapter 6. 
This period of time, this seven-year tribulation period, is referenced throughout the Bible. Here in chapter 6, it's referred to as the great day of their wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 calls it the day of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 30 tells us that it's the time of Jacob's trouble. One translation of Jeremiah 30 puts that whole verse this way. It says, in all history, there's never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. And we'll talk about that for my people Israel in upcoming weeks. Daniel chapter 12 described this period of time this way. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. And then Jesus himself addressed this period of time and he said this, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So we're going to begin to work our way through these judgments of God that are coming upon the earth. And we're going to discover there's a pattern to them. There's going to be seven and then seven and then seven. I want everybody to say seven, seven, seven. Go ahead, say it. If you can kind of have that in your, in your frame of reference, that'll help you go through Revelation. That, that there's patterns of seven, seven, and seven. And so here... We're going to see, remember, there's the scroll in God's hand that Jesus takes from his hand, and he's going to begin to open the seals that are on the scroll to tell us what, you know, the content is. And so each seal on that scroll represents a judgment. When the seventh seal is broken, that's going to usher in seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. We're going to see that in chapters 8 and 9. And then when the seventh trumpet blows, that's going to then usher in seven more judgments called the bowl judgments that are found in chapter 16. And then when those are done, there's no more judgment. It'll all be over. Now, I want to also remind you, the word seven in Scripture oftentimes means complete or completion or the fullness of. In other words, what we're witnessing through Revelation is the the fullness of or the complete and final culmination of, of the judgments of God or of the wrath of God. And then Jesus will return to do the final judgment and usher in the millennial kingdom in which we will experience something the earth has never known, and that's peace upon the earth. So there's the backdrop. Let's dive in. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And it says this, I, referring to John, watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, or some translations say, Come and see. I looked. There before me was a white horse. Everybody say white. So first thing we're going to look at, a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So, In the old westerns, if you ever used to watch these, whenever a guy rode into town on the white horse, what would you think? You would typically think that that rider was a hero, right? And and I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but how many used to love watching the Lone Ranger? Raise your hand, okay? A bunch of us. Hi-ho, Silver, man. I love that show. If you don't know what that is, just look at an old person and they'll explain it to you here in a minute. So, so a lot of people think that this, this white horse, the rider on this white horse is a hero. I want you to hold that thought for a minute. Let's say I wanted to make $100 counterfeit bills. 
I grabbed you and I said, hey, can you help me with this? We're going to create $100 counterfeit bills. What is our goal? What's our aim? Our goal is to make that counterfeit bill look as real as possible, right? We're going to do everything we can to make it look real. So if I want to fake you out with that bill, I'm not going to put, you know, um, Donald Trump or, 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 or Joe Biden's face on the front of it, am I? Who am I going to put on? I'm going to put Benny on the front, right? I'm going to make sure Benjamin Franklin, it's it. I'm going to do everything I can to make it as real as possible. That's the idea of a counterfeit. Well, this first writer is such a good counterfeit that people are fooled as to his identity. In fact, some people actually believe that this rider on the white horse is actually Jesus. I, I, I just don't see that. I don't think that fits for a lot of different reasons. For example, just to give you a few, one of the reasons I don't think it fits is because when Jesus comes on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19, he's going to come to end this tribulation period. And when he comes, he's going to end carnage, he's going to end warfare, he's going to end bloodshed. This writer is coming at the beginning of the tribulation. And he's coming in, and what is he going to do? He's going to usher in devastation and carnage and bloodshed and war. Also, Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, Jesus has many crowns on his head. And the Greek word for, for, the Greek word for crowns in that passage literally refers to the crown of a sovereign king, of somebody who is a, a ruler and a king, a permanent king. But the writer in chapter 6 has a different type of crown. The Greek word here in chapter 6 is the Greek word Stephanus. And Stephanus was actually a temporary crown that was made out of leaves. And so you can think of like somebody who won a race, like a marathon race, and they would receive that wreath or that crown, that temporary crown, because it was really, you know, it was a temporary kind of thing, a temporary victory. Also in Revelation chapter 19, it tells us that Jesus is going to come with a sword dipped in the blood of his enemies. This writer, he comes with a bow. And he comes with a bow, not a sword, and with no arrows. Now, what's a bow? The bow is, is symbolic for a hunt. Where do I get that from? Going back to uh, Genesis chapter 10, it's the first place in the Bible that we're introduced to this idea of a hunt. And we're introduced to a guy named Nimrod. Some of you, when you were a kid, you called people that name, and, and you're wondering, okay, it came from the Bible. It's a name in the Bible. So, so don't use that as an excuse to say, well, it's a name in the Bible. But anyway, so uh, it was a name we used a lot when we were kids. So Nimrod, Genesis chapter 10, says this. He, meaning Nimrod, became a fearless hunter in defiance of the Lord. Defiance is the Hebrew word panim. Panim, and it means before or against or in defiance of. So the story of Nimrod, what does he do? Well, he's this hunter, he's this bowman, bowsman, that's what that means. In defiance of God, established the first empire of Babel. Maybe for the story of Babel. Babel eventually becomes Babylon. So Nimrod is, comes as sort of this first world dictator, this bowman who has come to conquer in defiance of God or against God. Now, Babylon, Babel, Babylon, we're going to see Babylon referenced throughout Scripture. Okay, and we're going to see that throughout Scripture. And as it's referenced, or let me rephrase that, throughout Revelation. 
And as it's referenced, there's going to be a literalness to it, but also there's going to be a symbolism to it. And so uh, Babylon represents defiance against God. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, the apostle, writes this and he says to you and I, he says, you and I, he says, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Where do arrows come from? What are they shot from? A bow, right? So you have this rider on a white horse, and it's not Jesus Christ that we see in Revelation 19. This is really the Antichrist. This is a clever imitation of the real thing. This is an imposter on a white horse. And I want you to keep this in mind as we study Revelation. We are going to see throughout Revelation that the devil is going to try to imitate God and everything about who God is throughout Revelation. And that starts with the devil's version of Christ Jesus. And the devil's version of Christ, we're going to simply call him, he goes by many names, but we're going to call him the Antichrist. We're going to talk about this Antichrist more in coming weeks, but for now let me just do like a quick recap. From this chapter, we see that this imposter, not Christ, but an Antichrist, he comes into town and he has a bow, but there's no arrows. And that suggests that he's going to have some type of victory but it's not going to be my military means. In fact, and we're going to get dig into Daniel throughout the series, um, and there's more scriptures that we're going to see, but we know from Daniel that this person is going to bring a peace. But we're going to ultimately know that it's a false peace. So if people think this person on the white horse is coming in to conquer, right? The bow, he's going to conquer. And it, but he's going to do it in such a way that, he thinks he's, that people are going to think he's a hero, that he's bringing peace to the world. He's given a, a crown, but it's a Stephanus. It's a temporary crown. He's given authority, but it's temporary. It turns out he's the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. He will manage to bring a temporary peace. As we know through Scripture, we'll talk about it. He is going to bring some type of temporary peace between the Arabs and the Israelis. He's going to build some, be involved in building some type of temple for the Jewish people. And in the middle of this tribulation period, it's a seven-year period of time, he is going to break his covenant with the Israeli people. And that's when everybody discovers he's an imposter. His deception of promising peace, but then bringing destruction. You know, that reminds me of Hitler. And, and maybe some of you, are, you know, are students of history, and I don't have time to get into the depths of it, but when I think about his, Hitler, here's a person who many people believed he was a hero as he was rising to power. Many people believed, the French and the English, they believed that he was somebody who was going to help solve many of the world's problems. And that he was going to do so through peace. In fact, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, he went to, to, to Germany to meet with Hitler. He came back to his people on September 30th, 1938. He spoke to this huge crowd of his people. And he told, Chamberlain told the English people, Germany and England will once again be at peace. Hitler promised me there's going to be peace. You know who said, don't trust this guy. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Anybody know who that was? That was Winston Churchill. He said, don't trust him. He's bad news. Well, by the time everybody figured it out, the world had been plunged into war. 
Hitler managed to create for years a false peace through deception. That's what's going to come when the Antichrist comes, but it's going to be far worse. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the impact of this time. It says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when people are saying everything is what? Everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster is going to fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Why won't they escape? Well, because this cowboy on a right, white horse is bringing other cowboys with them. And, and they're going to come into town, and these other horses and these other riders are coming. And it's not a peace parade that they're bringing, but actually it's a stampede of destruction. So, after the white horse, deception, then comes the second red horse. Say the word red. So we have white, now we have red. Let's look at this, verse 3. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. See, the promised peace won't last. In its place is going to come, come devastation and destruction. And it's represented by this fiery red horse. Now, as this red horse, red in the Bible, is often associated with carnage and with terrorism. In Revelation chapter 12, you have a red dragon. Revelation chapter 17, there's going to be this red beast. And just as Hitler promised peace but plunged the world into war, the Antichrist is going to promise the world peace but then ultimately plunge the world into the most devastating war and wars the world has ever seen. In verse 4, we see that this red, rider on the red horse, that he had a sword, a large sword. First rider had a bow, no arrows came to conquer, but through peaceful means. But that false peace is going to give way, verse 4, to a great sword. So, peace, false peace, it vanishes from the earth, now replaced by war. Scholars, by the way, believe that the rider on the white horse and the red horse, same person, the Antichrist. Daniel the prophet, seeing into the future, speaking of this person, he said this, Daniel chapter 8, he will become very strong, but by, not by his own power. We'll look at it in the future, but that's really, he's going to be empowered really by the devil. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. Stephanus, right? Temporary power, temporary authority. He will destroy powerful leaders, and he's going to devastate God's holy people. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples about the end and the last days, and his disciples were curious, tell us about it. When's it coming? What are the signs? And Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said, watch out. Don't let anybody deceive you. There's going to be many coming in my name claiming, I am he, I'm the Messiah. And they will come, and they will what? They will, what's the word? They will deceive many. Deception. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it, you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but then the end is still to come. Same sequence that we see here in Revelation 6. Now, of course, there's always been war on earth, right? Wars, rumors of wars. But the wars are going to increase to a fever pitch 
during the seven-year tribulation period. It's going to culminate in the mother of all battles, the battle of Armageddon. Revelation 16 speaks of it this way. It says, uh, this, this final battle, there are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them for the battle, not another battle, not just a battle, gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So a man of peace comes. He has a bow, conquest, but no arrows. It's a white horse of deception. The bow is put down, a large sword is taken up, and warfare follows the rider on the red horse. Now we're going to see a black horse. Everybody say black. So we have white, we have red, now we have a black horse. Verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. And if I'm John, I'm thinking at this point, I don't want to come and see anymore. I've, I've seen enough, right? And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Now, I'm going to jump over to the New American Standard Translation for the next verse because it's, it's much more literal to, to the words um, originally in Greek. And it says this, And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures say, here's what the voice said, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the rot wine. So now we have this black horse, and the rider has a pair of scales in his hands. What are scales? They're used for measuring and weighing and rationing. So now we're going to begin to look at famine. You see, whenever there is war, famine follows because of food shortages. I even think about today in Ukraine, small country. It's devastating what's happening there. It's awful. Many people have died. But it's a small country, relatively speaking, to what's going on in the world. And yet, think about the impact that has had on the people and the food shortages. That's even impacted the, the food supply for the globe. But here, now, during this war, transportation, of course, during war is affected. Food supplies are destroyed. Hyperinflation is going to kick in on a scale that's never been seen before. And we get that illustrated here in this passage. Listen to how it's described. Verse 6, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Okay, what's he talking about? According to the Greek historian Herodotus, a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley, basically you could have this food or this food, they kind of equal, the, they, they do the same thing. That is what was required for a soldier each day to be able to eat, to perform. So back then, if you had a quart of wheat, you'd have your food for the day. Or if you didn't have any wheat, you'd get three quarts of barley, accomplish the same thing. Okay, tracking with me? A denarius was your wage for a day. You worked that day, you got a, for the average person, you got a denarius for that day's uh, wages for what you earned. And this says a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius would normally buy 12 quarts of wheat or 36 um, quarts of barley. And all you're like, I didn't come to church for math. But some of you are tracking with me right there. What is he saying? During this period of time, all of a sudden, instead of a day's wage being able to buy how many days of food? 12 right? Instead of 12 quarts of bar. Instead of that, now a day's wage is literally going to buy just the food to be able to survive for that very day. So here's the idea. Severe famine conditions come, most likely as a result of war. 
And we will spend everything we make each day just on food. It's massive hyperinflation. This is financial chaos. Interesting. Two products are, not, are, are excluded from this, and it's wine and oil. There's a lot of uh, speculation by scholars as to the reasons why there isn't consensus at all. One of the reasons I find intriguing that those are excluded, why, why God says those are excluded, is because grapes and, and olives represent the main product in Israel, which are wine and olive oil. And we know from Scripture that the land of Israel, uh, it looks like it's going to be basically spared to some extent. Why? Very likely because this Antichrist, he's going to establish a covenant with God's people, with the Israeli people, and there's going to be some type of peace. So somehow, some way, during this period of time, it will be uh, spared. So maybe that's the reason why. We don't know for sure, but that's just one idea that seems to make a little bit of sense. So, white horse, deception. Red horse, war. Black horse, result of that, war, famine. But the stampede isn't op- uh, over. Look at verse 7. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked. And there before me was a pale horse. Pale is the Greek word chloros, from which you and I get the word chlorophyll. It's most literally translated green. So this pale green color, it was something that you would use. It was the word you would use, chloros, to describe a body that had been dead for one or two or three or four days lying there and kind of the color that it looked. So it represented, you know, death, so to speak. That's interesting because look at the next verse, verse 8. The rider on this pale horse was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by swords, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. In this last horse, we see the ultimate impact of the Antichrist's rise to power during this tribulation period. He's going to bring widespread death upon the earth. Peace that's deceptive is going to give way to war and famine, and people are going to die by all sorts of means. The ultimate effect is that the people who are unsaved will go to hell or Hades. Now, I want you to notice that the stampede has the capacity to take, uh, take out a quarter of the world's population. Today we have about 8 billion, so that would be 2 billion people. That's a big number. How do you wrap your head around it? Well, uh, China has 1.5 billion people, so it would wipe out China. You may say, well, that's, I, I, that's over there. I, I don't understand. Like, okay, that's a lot of people. 2 billion people is more than the United States, the population of the United States, Canada, Mexico, Latin America, and the European nations combined. So imagine, U.S., Canada, Mexico, Latin America, European nation, all gone. That's how many people we're talking about. These deaths, staggering loss of life, is the result of the culmination of these four judgments, and it's explained in verse 8. Notice it says you have a sword, which means war. That's the first and second seals. You have famine, that's the result of war, which is the third seal. You have pestilence, the diseases that ordinarily follow famine and war, which is also the fourth seal. And notice, it even mentions you have wild beast. 
I mean, food is scarce, and so somehow, somewhere, the wild beasts are going to be more aggressive, which is the fourth seal. And by the way, uh, uh, in one of my study rabbit holes, uh, some people suggest that the wild beasts are actually rats. Now, rats are, are if you don't know, rat, and I spent way too much time on a rabbit hole studying this, but rats are the most destructive animal on planet Earth. And uh, so you just think about that, and I'll let you, good luck in your dreams tonight. So anyway, <laughs> so with war comes famine, with famine comes malnutrition, with malnutrition comes the breakdown of our immune system, you have disease and pestilence, hungry animals deprived of their food sources even coming after us, getting whatever they can to eat. Now here's one of the questions, what do we know? as we're listening to all this, as you're wondering, really? Well, here's what we know. We know this is going to happen. Just like all of the other prophecies or predictions in the Bible that God said would happen and then they did happen, just like that, so we can know what is stated in Revelation, that will occur. That will happen. Bad news is being delivered. Then Jesus breaks the fifth seal. And then John sees the souls of believers who've been killed during this time of tribulation. In other words, there are going to be people who during this tribulation period, even though the Christians had been raptured, somehow, somewhat, God is going to see that people still come to faith. And these people who are not tricked by the lies and deception of the Antichrist, they will be killed and pay for their lives with their faithfulness to Jesus And while these martyrs are crying out to God to avenge their death, back on earth, verse 16 tells us that those who are here are going to call to the mountains and the rocks and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of who? The one who sits on the throne and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Why all of a sudden would they cry out to God? Because not only have they experienced war and famine and disease and pestilence. Now they experience a horrific earthquake that rocks the entire earth as Jesus opens the sixth seal of that scroll from God's hand, the sixth seal that we see in verse 12. And after this earthquake, verse 12 says this, the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth. Now, all the events that had seemed normal, just human events, right? You have war and famine and pestilence and disease. We get that. But, but it's going to be on an unprecedented scale. Now, all of a sudden, supernatural things type start happening. Jesus said it this, this way. There's going to be strange signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified of what they see coming upon the earth from the powers in the heaven will shake. And you just read that, and I even think about what's happening in the world today and those who pay attention, like, like, okay, I think I could see these things. Just where we're taking our planet just by what humans are doing. As we get ready to wrap it up today, here's what I'd like you to consider. Don't you think that all these terrifying events that are coming upon the earth in such a relatively short window of time, don't you think that people would finally like wake up and say, oh my goodness, God, what's going on? Don't you think they'd wake up and and repent and get right with God? 
In fact, verse 16, if you look at it, notice, they acknowledge that all of this is from God. It's the wrath of the Lamb, of Jesus. They acknowledge that. They know it's from God. And yet Revelation chapter 9 and Revelation chapter 16 says these individuals, their hearts will grow harder and harder and harder. People will still refuse to repent. It's a mind-boggling thought. And it causes me to look at my own life and to think about my life and to think about your life. God tries to get our attention all the time. What's your response to him? Do you shake your fists at him and harden your hearts to God? Or do you say what one of our mottos here at LifePoint is? Yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. Even when I don't understand it, God, I submit, I surrender to you. The message of Revelation, this chapter reminds me, bad news is coming. But I have an opportunity today to be right with my Heavenly Father. I have an opportunity right now today to, to surrender to Him. God even said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation. You see, the good news is for those of us who know Jesus, he'll give us his peace. And depending on your interpretation of Revelation, even be raptured out of this. I want to encourage you this week. Revelation reminds us of the power of God and who he is, full of love and grace and mercy and truth. And part of God's holiness is that it includes his righteous judgment against sin. God wants you to be right with him, to walk with him. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to just take a moment with God and, and get right with him. Confess your sins to him. If you're a Jesus follower, just say, God, forgive me. I know you have. I've surrendered you. It's not what I do. It's what you do in me. But God, I surrender to you again. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen, God loves you so much. He doesn't want this wrath for you. He wants you to be a part of his family and to experience life to the fullest in Jesus. And you can have that today. You can have the hope of heaven today if you'll join the family of God. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.